Hey, do you love the show? Subscribe not to miss a thing. You can also rate and review at your favorite podcast player. Previously on Building Evelyn. Ma'am, can I help you? The lady approached the counter and said in a very calm but firm voice, You tell her to leave my husband alone. Esther swallowed slowly. It felt like time stopped and everything was quiet, like there were only the two of them in the bank. The only sound was the humming of the air conditioner. He will not leave me and all we built together for her. This playing house that is going on will end and I don't want to regret my actions later in life. Hello and welcome to Building Evelyn. This story is based in true events, but written with a bit of fiction. Each chapter of the story is written by a different writer, and each writer not only continues the story using real events and facts, but also puts their own twist on the previous writer's idea to keep the story moving. I am Jackie Passau, and Chapter 4 was written by Mayara Hansen. Miss Josie always rose before the sun. She would sit up on her squeaky bed carefully in order not to wake her husband and pray the Lord's Prayer before getting up to walk to the chapel located near the front of the property. In the bathroom, she would lean over a large aluminum bowl and wash her face using the cold water gathered in a pitcher the night before. There were no mirrors in her bathroom, but she did not mind. Vanity was never one of her sins when she was young, let alone now in her old age. All she cared about was being presentable and clean. She often wondered about how old age effortlessly shaves off so many of our sinful behaviors and tendencies. Some of the traps presented to our young selves can seem completely foolish later in life. She had prayed and wished her daughter Gracious would not have fallen for those traps, being a single young woman, but she did. And as any mother would, she often blamed herself for the errors of her children. When Gracious showed up pregnant with a married man's child, Miss Josie thought she would never again feel as embarrassed as she then felt. As a fervent Catholic, a leader in her small community, and a praying faithful woman who had the respect of her neighbors if nothing else, 
the failure of a daughter making such a mistake seemed too much to bear. Imagining the things that people around them could say about her and her daughter was almost as painful as if they were actually saying such things. But worst of all was the fact that her husband, Gracious Father, would perhaps never forgive his daughter or Miss Josie for what had happened. During those times, it was quite common for the wife to raise the children by herself. The teaching and disciplining of a child felt almost completely upon the mother's shoulders, and with that, the responsibility and blame for any mistake that child would make, even as adults. When done properly, the father figure in the family provided protection, stability, and respect. But other than that, the family was expected not to bother their patriarch or add to their responsibilities, which were already seen as such a heavy burdens. With that said, of course some fathers did act as an exception to the rule and actually gave love and attention to their children. Truth be told, Mr. Jerry Munoz was a mixture of both. He was not a very present father to his children, except to gracious. He could be cold, distant, and far from perfect, but with all his faults, he was loving to gracious. Miss Josie could still remember the day Gracious told her about her pregnancy, as if it were yesterday. She was washing some plates in the kitchen when Gracious came in and kept pacing back and forth nervously in the small kitchen until Miss Josie could stand it no longer and ask her, What is the matter? At first, she thought Gracious might have been fired from her job at the bank which would be bad news for them, although she had faith God would provide. But Gracious seemed unable to muster the words, so Miss Josie put down the plate she was washing, dried her hands, and pulled out a chair from under the small square table in the kitchen for Gracious to sit down. Mom, you are the one who needs to sit down, Gracious said gravely and teary-eyed. She went on to tell her mother she was pregnant and who the father was. Miss Josie was shocked she could only murder indistinctively and call upon the Lord in between her murdering. Father is going to throw me out, Gracious cried. You are not getting thrown out with a baby in your belly, but you will be lucky if he ever speaks to you again. You know your father. All men, for that matter, this will break his heart. How could you be so careless? This man you are in love with is never leaving his wife. I hope you know that. You are alone. What did I do wrong to deserve this? I hope at least I have raised you well enough to have a spine and care for your child by yourself. Unlike the women that make the same mistake and do even worse by getting rid of their baby. Lord have mercy, there is no worse sin than that. That was all Miss Josie said before storming off. She did not speak to Gracious for a few weeks after that. Gracious did not believe her mother when she said she was going to be alone in caring for the baby. 
like any good liar, her lover had said he would be there, and for a short time he was. But that was all he did. Miss Josie always said that a mother's wisdom is often wasted when offered to her children. She wasn't wrong. For months, Miss Josie's early morning walks from her home to the humble chapel in their property were filled with agony and questions to God as to why such a shame had befallen her family. But as the months passed and her grandchild was born, God comforted her heart and she learned to live with the pain that was still there. Most of all, she felt the Lord had answered her prayers by sending that evil man out of her daughter's and grandchild's lives, and she felt she should be satisfied with that small victory. A greater victory still was the fact that after the initial shock and harsh words from her husband, when Miss Josie and Gracious told him about the pregnancy, Mr. Jerry Munoz did not seem to treat Miss Josie very differently. He was, in fact, heartbroken by the news, since Gracious had always been his favorite child. And he did not speak to her any longer just as Miss Josie had predicted, nor seemed interested in his grandson once he was born. But as the baby grew, little by little, he conquered his grandfather's heart before he could even say a word. It seems that in their mutual silence, they had an understanding, unbeknownst to anyone else. One particular evening, the baby was crying a lot, and Miss Josie, who watched him when Gracious was at work, was very busy cooking dinner. Mr. Jerry grabbed him in his arms to Miss Josie's astonishment and left for a walk on the property. When they reached the front gate, Gracious was arriving home. She parked her car by her brother's house and got out. Quite shocked and confused as to why her father, who hadn't spoken to her since she told him she was pregnant, was now holding her baby by the front gate. She walked towards him and was getting ready to say something when he interrupted her by saying, Good evening, Gracious. We are just taking a walk, me and my little man. He put one arm around her, held the baby in his other arm, and the three of them walked back to their house. I have missed you, Dad was all Gracious could say as tears fell down her cheek, hidden by the fading light of day. And that was no more silence between them after that evening. Quite inexplicably, Mr. Jerry had found it in himself to forgive his daughter for betraying her own self. As these things usually go, some people did look at Miss Josie's and her daughter differently after her misstep. But Miss Josie was resilient, and her strong demeanor made it clear to anyone that her kindness did not come from a lack of strength, but quite the opposite. That way, whoever disapproved of her and her daughter knew to keep their opinions to themselves.
Miss Josie Munoz took her daily morning walk to her chapel as a ritual since the chapel was first built. At the beginning, it is only fair to say the chapel was less of a chapel and more of a spot in the property where the family could go and pray undisturbed. With time and effort, she convinced her husband to build a structure and some benches for the chapel using various woods they had on the property and from donations that would come in from time to time in the form of building supplies and materials. He did it, but did not seem interested in helping any father. So she got her son and some men who volunteered to cover the roof of the chapel with dried woven coconut tree leaves. And for a while, that's all the progress she would get. The chapel was to remain a simple structure with no walls, although Miss Josie was thankful for the frail roof and benches. But the humble beginnings of her chapel did not make her less inclined to waking up early every morning and going there to pray, or the neighbors, mainly women, to join her on certain days of the week for a community prayer. For now, that would still be rushing to pray before the rain fell through the improvised roof or be down on whoever was in it from the sides by the bare structure. There would still be wiping the sweat off their foreheads while they pray as the sun scorched everything within its reach. And shivering from cold in the early hours of the morning or night when she would often be praying alone for an emergency situation or simply because she could not sleep and choose to go to her praying refuge. As time went by and the chapel in Miss Josie's property became more and more prominent among the people that lived around her, she managed to get it properly registered with the Catholic Church and it was named the Chapel of Our Lady of Assumption, at which point a priest by the name of Antonio Braga was appointed to hold Mass there once every two weeks, and Miss Josie was ordained the minister of the chapel, giving her dedication to the cause and everyone in the surrounding community. It was no surprise to anyone that she was to be the minister of the chapel. The priest was less than pleased with the condition of the chapel when he first arrived there for his bi-weekly sermon. He was expecting a humble chapel, but was taken by surprise by the sight of the bare structure that resembled a bare beach hut. Miss Josie did not hold it against him though, for he was old, tired, and used to preaching with the roof over his head. But suddenly he was told to take a trip every two weeks to their humble chapel, and apparently it did not please him for many reasons, the no-roof situation being the greatest of them all. And while many in the neighborhood were a bit offended by the sourness of the priest, Miss Josie tried to see everyone's side. She had a way of truly trying to understand people's situations and finding solutions other than complaints about issues. 
which made her a very rational and assertive woman. Although the priest was taken aback by what the chapel really was in comparison to his expectations, he nevertheless was quite struck by this lady's personality that had managed to bring an entire community together by faith alone and register not a chapel with the Catholic Church because truly there was no proper chapel to be registered, but instead the faithfulness of her community. Miss Josie truly got a recognition from the church for the only thing that mattered when it comes to the Lord, which is your faith and your heart and not the building in which you stand. When the priest realized that in his heart, he felt embarrassed for his opinions of the chapel and his attitude while first preaching there, and he did confess it to the Lord in his journal. Although he hoped one day that chapel could be more than what it currently was. After all, it's better to pray in dryness than in the rain. Except when you are a child, and these little bright moments of perceived adventure are more than enough to bring you joy. That is what Priest Antonio thought to himself as he prepared for the sermon from inside Miss Josie's house and watched little Evelyn play outside in the pouring rain. In those days, Miss Josie's house was the only one that had piped water available. The rest of the family in the property used a water pump to pull up their water from deep groundwater. The water pump was right in front of Evelyn's house. She did not do much for chores yet, but one of her few chores was to get water from the water pump a few times a day as her mother needed. As kids often do, she drew some joy out of mostly anything, even her chores. Sometimes her mother would have to yell for her to come in with the bucket of water because she would lose herself in playing by the water pump and forget why she was sent there to begin with. Oftentimes, Evelyn's aunt would come to her house and ask her to help her bathe the baby, which she gladly did every time. They would walk back to the other side of the property to Gracia's house, which was also Evelyn's grandma's house, and Gracia's would play make-believe with Evelyn while they waited for the water to heat up on the stove. Once that was ready, Gracia's would carefully put the water in a tub and Evelyn would pour cold water on it, little by little, until Gracia's was satisfied with the temperature. She would then get the baby and have Evelyn help her wash his slippery, chubby body. Evelyn often wondered how her aunt could keep the baby from slipping through her fine, delicate hands. Gracious most obviously only asked Evelyn to be part of this daily baby bath because since she had the baby, she had less time to be with her. 
but she wanted very much to show Evelyn that she was still loved by her aunt, even though there was a new love in her life. Most children don't hide their emotions like we do, she thought. And she could see the semblance of sadness in Evelyn's eyes ever since she had the baby. With a distant, cold mother and a father going further down the solitary path of heavy drinking. Gracious was anxious to still be for Evelyn what she felt lacked in her household. However, awkwardly, she did the job. After bathing the baby, Gracious would walk Evelyn back home. It was usually getting dark by that time, but the front gate was still open by then. Gracious' brother usually locked it by 10 p.m. There were only two gates in the property. The one by Evelyn's house was the front gate, and it was usually kept open during the day for the people in the neighborhood who wanted to stop by the chapel and pray. The other gate was located by Miss Josie's house. It used to be the only gate backed in a day but now it remained locked. Besides the people who came through the property to go to the chapel, some neighboring people would also go in to get water from their pump whenever their piped water would have any problems or get cut off for some reason. Women would come to the kitchen window and ask Evelyn's mother, Mary, to get some water. They would get the water and chat for a long time. What about? Evelyn did not know. But somehow it seemed that every person that came by their window was an intimate friend that felt comfortable talking about their entire lives to Evelyn's mom. Later on, Evelyn would learn that this is more of a cultural trait than anything else. It is quite common to friendships between Brazilians to flourish quickly and spontaneously. But as it is true for everything else in life, there are downsides to this as there are advantages. One disadvantage of the forward behavior of people there was the fact that people from the surrounding areas who wanted to walk to the avenue that was built by Miss Josie's property would take advantage of the open gate and use the property as a shortcut to get to the avenue. They would go into the property and walk across it to reach the empty lot located by it and from there go towards the avenue beyond it. The open gate that was once open in good faith to the people who wanted to pray at the chapel was now being used by every sort of people that simply wanted a faster way to get to the avenue. Mary had great concern for this situation, for more than once she had caught kids stealing her vegetables or the fruits she would gather from the trees and sat by her kitchen window to dry after washing them. I would give these kids anything I have, if they ask for it because they are hungry, but to steal it? Your mother needs to do something about this gate, Evelyn would hear her mother say to her father. Her face 
flushed from running outside and kicking the robbers out of the property. We have children, peace. You know there is a slum nearby. God forbid someone who is really evil come in here. You have to help me fix the situation. You have to talk to your mother. Mary whispered to Peace one night in the kitchen, try not to wake the children. But he just sat there looking at his almost empty drink. She had pushed for some sort of reaction from him on the same subject only two days prior and he hit her across the face because she dumped his drink in the sink. But tonight she felt even more tired than usual and chose to simply walk away. She lay in bed looking at the ceiling, the night as dark as she was alone. She remembered the day she met Peace and then she remembered getting married to him in her simple white dress all those years ago. She felt mad to remember how naive she had been back then to believe that because she was getting married to that man, she would no longer be alone. There is no worse loneliness than when you have someone but they are not really there. Peace had not been there for years now. His only companion was the battle. He couldn't stand for anything worthwhile. And most days, after dark, he could not stand up at all. As Mary lay there, her heart hardened to her reality. She decided to speak to her mother-in-law the very next morning. She had wanted peace to be with her as Miss Josie's son to add force to her request. But her voice was all she had and it would have to do. As expected, Miss Josie refused to completely lock the gate as her daughter-in-law wished her to. She felt the chapel, which was now registered with the church, needed to be accessible to all who needed it. When it came to her beliefs and positions about religion and such matters, Miss Josie was more resolute than ever. And so, life continued as before, with people from all walks of life getting through the property as they wished. One evening, Evelyn was gathering a few buckets of water for her mother outside using the water pump when a man who had entered the property to cross over to the avenue started walking towards her house. Evelyn did not notice him until he was quite close by. He started talking to her and she was very uneasy about it. Her little heart was pounding. She was so shy and nervous that a stranger was speaking to her. The man stood behind a few bushes and when he acted like he might be getting close, Evelyn yelled for her mother, who came out off the house quickly and marched towards the men bravely. She told Evelyn to go inside and kept on walking towards the man and telling him to leave at once. As she approached him, she noticed he had one of his hands inside his pants. She started screaming at the top of her lungs when she saw that and yelled, PERVERT, for all to hear. 
That's when the men started to run, and Pisa, who was coming home from work, ran towards his wife, asking what had happened and who was the man running. She told him quickly what the men had done, and Pisa turned around and ran furiously after the man who was now out of the property. Pisa caught up with him and started punching him vigorously. The man fought back, but he was no match for Peace, who was not only stronger, but a man who was terrified of what could have happened to his child had no one been around to stop this child abuser. All the neighbors and the family quickly gathered around the bloody scene, and Mary was now crying and asking him to stop before he killed the man. Thankfully, his brother got there and pulled Peace out of the fight. The man, who could barely walk now, peeled himself off the floor and limped his way out of the crowd while Peace screamed that if he ever showed his face there again, he would kill him on the spot. Everyone now shocked and all agreeing that the trespassers had gotten out of control went into their homes, surprised by Peace's reaction. Some were saying he was drunk, others said they would have done the same, but the truth was that for the first time in many years, Peace was more alive and alert than ever. There was no alcohol in his blood, and it might seem odd for him to admit to others But as his wife cleaned his bloody and swollen fist in the kitchen, a few minutes later, he felt proud for finding out he had something in him worth having. He still had love and protective instincts for his family. Ever since he was young, he felt the shadow that followed his father and dragged him into heavy drinking would also follow him. As he grew older, the harshness of life and broken dreams guided him down the same path he loaded as a boy. For so many years now, he thought there was nothing else inside of him but the desire to drown who he was with every gulp of that poisonous liquid. But now he saw the spark of a man inside him. Maybe that man wouldn't have to be a slave to anything. He had been a man defined by his inaction, his indifference, his complacency, and his abusive nature. But maybe there was another way to live. And for the first time, he felt ashamed of how he had treated his wife, who was now on her knees trying to clean his hand. He couldn't sit there another minute. He felt unworthy of every movement Mary made while serving him. He got up and walked all the way to his mother's house, and he told her that they were grateful to live in her property and that he knew the decision was in her hands. But if she kept the gate open, at all times of the day for anyone to come and go as they pleased. He didn't know 
what worse things could happen, and she should consider the peril her granddaughter could be in, had no one been there to protect her. He left before Miss Josie could say anything. Not that she even knew what to say, but she had never seen Peace talk or act like that ever in her life. Since he was a boy, they barely heard his voice, let alone hear him speak so decidedly. As Peace walked back home in the dead of night, with only a lamp to guide his way, he had to come face to face with the agony of seeing how little he was for the first time in his life. Without liquor to sedate the truth of his shortcomings, his pain was acute. He did not know what it meant or how to become a different man. The only thing he knew was that his constant dark companion had no place in any kind of life he would be proud of at the end of his. But even then, he felt alone not having it. All he wanted to do was keep walking until he left the property and found a bar. But he heard a voice inside and he instantly knew that he might never get another chance to truly wake up. In all these years, he had lived in a fog and nothing ever happened to lift it. Tonight, the fog had lifted, and for the first time he could see the torn-up landscape within himself. And however painful it was to finally see it, he could not forget the truth of what he had seen. It was late, and everyone in the property had gone to bed. The night was dark, and Miss Josie was closing the window by her bed, falling down when she looked out and she saw a light flickering in the distance for the first time in his life peace went into the chapel the gentle breeze moved through the woven roof and he sat quietly on the wooden bench until the first rays of light lit up the horizon Building Evelyn's original story, narration, and production by Jackie Pesau. Chapter 4 was written by Mayara Hansen. Her email is maiarahanson at outlook.com if you wish to contact her. Music by Clark James. You can listen to his amazing music on Spotify. SoundCloud, and Google Play. To learn more, visit ClarkJamesPiano.com or find him on Facebook or Amazon.
I hope you find this podcast entertaining. If you are interested in contributing a song or to write the next chapter of the story, submit an email at info at buildingevelyn.com and we will consider featuring it. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on WhatsApp at 513-580-4595. For more chapters, listen on your favorite podcast player, our YouTube channel, or head over to our site at buildingevelyn.com. There is B-L-D-G-E-V-E-L-Y-N.com. And while you are there, consider clicking the donate link. That would be so nice of you.